0: Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark's in the New Testament, so if you have a Bible, please open to Mark chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 28 through 40 this morning. Mark 12, 38 through 40, or 28 40, sorry. As you turn your Bibles there, I wanted to read to you this morning a quote from Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards says this, Men will trust in God no further than they know him. And they cannot be in the exercise of faith in him once eight, one ace further, then they have sight of his fullness and faithfulness in exercise. We read that for you again. Men will trust in God no further than they know him. And they cannot be in the exercise of faith in him one ace further than they have sight of his fullness and faithfulness in exercise. Church, this morning we come to the Word of God to see the person of Jesus in fullness and faithfulness and to see how he has exercised his great love to us. And so I want to start with a question this morning. What are the things that you love most in life? What would you say your spouse? Maybe your family, your hobbies. Hopefully you would say your church. There are things that we adore, things that we love in life. And if you're a Christian, hopefully you would say that you love God. But if you're not a Christian, or maybe you're curious, it's probably safe to say that you're not there just yet. Uh, another question for us is how do the people that we love know, or know that we love them? If you were to ask Rachel how she knows that I love her, she would maybe say a few of these things. Every now and then I like to buy Rachel some flowers. I'm not very good at it, but every now and then I do buy some flowers, and I like to do this little thing where I buy her tools. Uh, But every now and then I buy her flowers. One of the things that Rachel really appreciates is when I get her gifts that she enjoys. Recently, Rachel has really been into these new hair products. Uh, If you ask her about the curly girl method, you're going to sit down and get ready for a whole conversation. Uh, She also likes clothes. She likes to go shopping for clothes. She, She really likes chocolate. So I like to buy her chocolate. She also likes to do bedspreads. I feel like we get to do bed spread <laughs> So, there are things that, that she loves, but Rachel also knows that I love her because I do the things that she doesn't like to do, like clean the cat box and do the yard work. She hates working outside. She knows that I really love her when I do the dishes for her. She knows that I love her when I take her on, her, on a date We have quality time together. When I ask her about her day and not just to get the conversation going, to truly see how her day was. She knows that I love her when I take the time to listen to her. She knows that I love her when I notice that her hair or her makeup is different. She knows that I love her when I pray for her. When I gently teach her and She knows that I love her when she hears these things, when she receives these things, when I express them. But beyond that, she doesn't just know that I love her, she believes that I love her. Our big idea this morning, from this passage in Mark 12, is that what we believe must influence how we live. What we believe must influence how we live. (laughs) Mark 11 and 12 is full of conflicts that exist between Jesus and religious leaders. They've challenged his authority, and they've asked questions of him to get him caught in his words, and they've even tried to throw him into theoretical situations to catch him off of his guard. And every attempt thus far has fallen short. In this morning's passage, Jesus responds to one final question from these leaders, and then he takes the time to ask them a question. So follow along as I read from Mark 12, verses 28 and 40. This is what the word of the Lord says. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked them, Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered him, The most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and that there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to them, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask you any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord is my said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And David calls him, Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seat in the synagogue and the places of honor at feasts. Who devour a widows' houses and, for a pretense, make long prayers? They will receive the greater condemnation. is the word of the Lord. This Amen. What we believe must influence how we live. And so, what we see in through Jesus and this battle with religious leaders is that the religious leaders they value their outward appearance without really having a changed heart. We've seen it in the challenge of the authority. We've seen it in the parables of the tenants as they ask him about who their allegiance belongs to. We saw it last week as Zach preached through uh, the question that came about the resurrection. And this morning we start by looking at this question that comes in the form uh, from the scribe of what is the greatest commandment of all. Now this is a question that is huge within Judaism. This is a massive question, something that's really important. As we arrive in this first section of verses 28-34, through it's important for us to note that the scribe approaches Jesus following up to what has happened in the previous sections. So the religious leaders, the Sadducees, came and they asked about the resurrection, and this scribe has been present among these people, and he hears Jesus' response to this question, And now he's impressed. And so he comes to him impressed by his response. And there's no indication from the text that this scribe is a member of the Pharisee party or the Sadducee party. But what we do know is that the scribe was proficient in the Word. As a scribe, he had to know the in and out of the Word of God, the the Scriptures. He had to have the knowledge of what was said and what wasn't said. What was important and what wasn't important. His question that he poses to Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all, is not an inappropriate question. In fact, it was common practice that among the religious leaders that they would differentiate between the small and great commandments of the law. Does anybody know how many commandments are in the, the Old Testament law? Anyone? Ready for a good number? 613. 613 commandments. And they had to know what was great and what was small. So that's a lot of commandments to choose from, for Jesus. Right? So, as he's been thrown into this question, choose one of the 613 that is the most important. But Jesus' response is brilliant. Here, again, what he says in verse 29 to 31, the most important is this. Hero is Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is You should love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this you should love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Summed up in four words. Love God, love others. Jesus breaks the whole law into four words love God, love others. He shows that he understands the law, that he understands its principles. But for Jesus, the law is summarized in the will of God, which calls for a love that is a wholehearted response. It's a wholehearted response to God and to other individuals. So the first thing he says is love God. Between all the Gospels, Mark is the only one who includes the introduction in verse 29. It's what The Israelites call the Shema, right? (laughs) The Shema, right? They're not from New York or Boston; they're from Israel. The Shema, right? And it's a prayer for the pious Jew. It's a confession of their faith. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four and five, which says, "Hear, O Israel: The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul." This is a confession of faith that this is a proclamation for the people of Israel. But notice how Jesus responds. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind your strength. Each one of these pieces declare. A scholar that I read through this week, he said that the heart speaks to our emotions. It's the real me on the inside. The soul speaks to the spirit, the self-conscious life. The mind speaks to our intelligence, the thought life. And the strength speaks to our bodily powers, perhaps even on them. And there's an overlap in these categories. They're all meant to build and be reliant upon one another. But the important part is this. Notice the word that's repeated through this one verse. All all your mind, all your strength. God is never satisfied with anything less than the devotion of our whole life for the whole duration of our lives. To love God in a way that is defined by the great Commandment is to seek God for His own sake, to have pleasure in Him and to strive impulsively would think if we ran impulsively after something, that that might be a negative thing in our lives, right? Like if I decided to go buy Rachel Olive Target, that's an impulsive buy. <laughs> Even if it's part of home, Magnolia Farms, right? We all know Joanna and Chip make beautiful things. We, we know we can't buy everything that they make. But it says that we're to run after God in such a way that our love seems impulsive towards him, that he is the utmost desire, the longing of our hearts, that in him we find everything, that in him there's nothing that compares. And what Jesus is saying here is not checking off the box of some sort of legal action. He's actually saying that this is something that is a matter of your entire will. If we're going to love God, our, our soul and our mind and our heart and our strength, We need to be determined with everything within us to run after him. We think of loving others, loving our spouse, loving our family members. And there are times where our love doesn't measure up to our confession of our love. I I love you, but I'm not going to do the thing that's going to happen right now. I love you, but I, I really don't if we're to love God we have to give him all of our heart all of church because you want to commit yourself to God in these ways. What about when we sing together? When we sing these songs, are we singing things that we hear on the radio? Are we singing the affection of our hearts and saying, God, like in in Revelation song, you are holy. You are holy. You're the Lord God Almighty who is and is to come. Are we singing out of affection Do these things spark the love for God in your heart? When you read your Bible, are you like me and you're tired and cranky when you're reading? That only happens when I read at night. Right before I go to bed, tired and cranky. God's power and His work—Are you overwhelmed with joy? When you think of what Jesus has just said here to these scribes and these religious leaders? Are you overwhelmed by His magnificent power? Are you overwhelmed with joy or thankfulness? Are you convicted of sin? Are you angered by your own pride? Do you love God? The spiritual and self-conscious life. Here's a question, what are you reading in the Bible right now? What is it teaching you about God? What is it teaching you about growing to be more like Jesus? When was the last time you got alone to pray? No one else around, I'm not saying pray in the car, I am saying void of distraction, you've gotten alone. know the sin that you're currently struggling with and you confess it to the Lord and you repent what does that look like do we love God with all of our minds our intelligence and thought life? great question how are you learning are you reading anything that will grow your faith are you listening to any podcasts What do you know about church history? What do you know about theology? What don't you understand about God? Have you ever considered talking to another Christian and asking them to help you learn? Do you love God with all of your strength, the bodily power of your will? Here's a beautiful question. When was the last time you took a rest? What's the last time you just took some time and rested? How are you sleeping? Are you sleeping? Do you turn your phone off after work and spend time with your family, avoiding all the scratching? This one kills me. Are you exercising? (coughs) Inconsistently. You have a well-balanced healthy diet. These are practical things that help us love God. They're meant to point us in the direction and help us to align our affection in our living. Because if we love God, we love Him with everything that we have, our lives will match our love for Him. And friends, there are going to be moments where we're going to have high peaks and then we're going to be in the valley. Things that we're doing really well, things where we're struggling. But the question that comes to us is, Does our heart influence how we live? What is is our heart full of? Is it full of a love and affection for God? Just maybe not even thought about it. Jesus says that we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's so much more that can be said about it. It says that first we're to love God and the second we're to love others. I love this uh, quote that says, How well you respond to loving God will determine how you respond to loving others. Does anybody else have a hard time loving people here and there? Honestly? Okay. Every now and then has anybody been annoyed by anyone before? Why is <laughs> the only one who gets annoyed? and I, I have some problems, I guess. <laughs> it's easy for us to be annoyed by other people, but how we love God will influence how we love other people. We know this in Christ as, as members of the church. As we gather together with the people of the church, when we know that we're a bunch of broken people come into a church, and we've been redeemed and purchased by the blood of Jesus, we have great hope. We say, oh, praise the Lord, we have been set free from our sin." That separate us from God. But we also know that we come into this place still in progress. This morning I joked with Caleb and Rachel as we were practicing. We're like, we don't know how that one sounded. I just said, we're still in progress. We're not attaining perfection right now. Our perfection comes in Christ. Friends, hear that. Your perfection comes in Christ. Your righteousness is in Christ. Who you are is in Christ and how we live in Christ determines how we live among each other. It's really easy for us to tap into our flesh and say, I'm cranky today, I'm tired today, I didn't have my morning coffee, and to be, for lack of better words, jerks to one another. But if if we remind ourselves, if we pause for a moment, and say, "Look at the great love that God has extended to us," and they just loving the person that maybe is annoying us, or maybe we're struggling with a little bit easier. Think, God has loved us in such a way where we were dead and separated from Him in sin. He sent Jesus, and we have life. If Jesus could come and die and cross the mind, the least I can do is extend courtesy a wholehearted love for God finds its expression in selfless concern for another man which decides and acts in a manner consistent with itself Leviticus 19 and 18 defines the reference and Jesus removes some sort of restriction Tim he says this Jesus shows us that love actually defines the lawful life. He shows us that the law actually defines the loving life. When Jesus says that all the law boils down to love God and neighbor, he is saying we have not fulfilled the law simply by avoiding what the law prohibits. But we must also do and be what the law is really after, namely love. Leviticus 19, 17 and 18, defines the second commandment. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, less you sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love the, your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Commandments straight from God. What Jesus does here is he actually breaks that boundary the sends it around people. He says, To all people. These sound simple, but here are just some ways to love your neighbor, according to Leviticus 19. Carefully. Just. take revenge or bear a grudge against others. There's just some of the ways that Leviticus 19 expresses love for our neighbor. And here how the scribe responds again to Jesus. You were right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength And to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more, much more than all of the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. This is a surprising response. Because the scribe, who knows all of these 613 commandments, says, Jesus, you're right, those two are way more important than anything else. God doesn't just want your outward action. He wants a heart that is changed by love. A love for him and a love for others. Because the outward sacrifices fall short of what he is looking to. Here's this passage, 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. Has the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? As in obeying the voice of Lord. Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to listen to them than the battle rants. Hosea 6 6, for I desire faithful love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Proverbs 21, verse 3, doing what is righteous and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. God wants more than just our outward action. He wants our heart to be changed and motivated by love for Him and love for others. And Jesus responds in verse 34, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Jesus was pleased with the wise response of the scribe saying, oh, you're not far from the kingdom of God. But what did he mean by this? Well, if he was not saying. Ooh, so close. say, oh, you're so close. Here, Jesus starts by saying, worship God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Remember what the scribe just said? God is not pleased in the mere outward appearance. We don't come into the kingdom of God because of our external appearances. We don't come to the kingdom by our own work. We come into the kingdom by grace. Grace alone. Faith alone. Because of Christ alone. The truth is is that we all need to be new. Hear these words. No, I need a new me. I need a new heart. I need the grace and mercy of God who can make me a new creation in Christ. I need to draw near to Jesus who has brought the kingdom of God near one draws near and enters the kingdom, not by religion, but by a relationship with Jesus. A relationship that results in loving God supremely and others genuinely. And Jesus' adversaries are silenced. Verse 34 tells us in the second time. no one dared to question But Jesus turns the tables. And he asks them a question. Verse 35 through 37. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. And so I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him the Lord. So how does he need his son? And the great the wrong.
1: So the religious leaders have been trying to catch Jesus
0: in his words by asking questions and putting him in tough conversations. And now Jesus takes the opportunity to teach them. And he teaches them about something that's super popular within their culture. A political Messiah. That this Messiah would come and restore the nation of Israel back to glory. That there would be ultimate power and might through the nation, through the king. That there would be a hero who would come to rescue them and exercise a strong fist. But Jesus has something to teach them. He addresses them in their concerns. He doesn't answer a direct question from one of the scribes. He addresses a common teaching of hope. He wasn't raising this question to deny the word of God, but to challenge a popular opinion. He's asking the question of asks Jesus. So what do the scribes mean when they say that the Messiah is the son of David? What is the relationship between David and the Messiah? And Jesus responds with what David says under the influence of the Holy Spirit in Psalm 110. In that text, the first use of the Lord refers to the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And then the following, to my Lord, refers to Adonai. Jesus' question was meant to invite thought and reflection for these scribes and for its people. If David referred to the Messiah as his Lord, he understood that the one who would receive the promise was actually greater than himself. These people are set on their own greatness and their own glory. But what David is proclaiming is that there's a greatness to come that cannot be measured. If Jesus is the one to be spoken of, then he is the fulfiller of Scripture. And David distinguished between his earthly political sovereignty and the higher level of sovereignty that comes the Messiah in the kingdom of God. Since so the Messiah's role is not to restore David's power, but to bring the kingdom. Jesus brings a greater kingdom. When he posed this question, he stood before suffering and death. He knew that he was in a situation of conflict for the salvation of God's people. He knew that the scribes had no power against him. He knew that what he was facing was not a national battle, but that he was facing a spiritual battle. Though he faced the tyranny of the Roman cross, it was the sin of humanity that he had to overcome. And this question, this interpretation that he brings, strikes the heart of the people now. No satisfactory answer can be It says that the people heard him. Then Jesus further really teaches the people, verse 38 and 40. And is teaching, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long roads and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogue and the places of honor and feast, who devour the widow's houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive greater condemnation. All of these passages in Mark 11 and 12 connect right here. All of these examples the authority of Jesus being challenged, the parable of the tenants where the owner of the vineyard's son is murdered, the question of allegiance, do we align with God's kingdom or do we align with the kingdom of man, the question about the resurrection, is this true, what is going to be for us in the kingdom, the question that comes in the great commandment, all are meant to reflect what Jesus says right here in these verses. The scribes and the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, outwardly have the right appearances, but their hearts are not changed. So he says, beware of them. They walk around in long robes. The, the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders wore white linen robes that were pure and brilliant, whereas the common people wore bright colors. They wore these robes is a sign of purity. To be set apart from the people. It says that they liked greetings the in the marketplace. The people respected the scribes in such a way that they walked up to them and they called them father, master, rabbi. There was a great reverence and respect. They had the best seats in the synagogue. They were in the, back. the front. Of the They went to places of honor and a feast. They were supported. In fact, it's amazing that they, they had all this reverence because on paper, they were quite poor. They were considered to be part of their, their salary range, was in the, the socio-economic status of almost below poverty. But they were invited to places of honor. They had people who would fund them, give them their wallets and say, do the work of might be thinking about the prosperity gospel right now. You should be. They devoured those houses. They went after those who were suffering. And They took advantage of them. They made long prayers just to be heard. And their prayers were great words so that they could receive applause. But Jesus says they will face greater competition. Outward appearances are not enough. What we do on the outside has to be And the scribes, though they felt like they were fooling everybody, they could not fool Jesus. Because Jesus saw straight through what they were doing. He saw into their heart. The reality is, is that we we love something. We love someone. What was our love for God? Is our love for God an affection that motivates us and drives us? Doesn't help us to lead to loving others loving them well. Friends, there will be those that will try to take advantage of you. There will be those that come in with false messages that try to get the best you. The looks of you. But look to the heart. Of the person. Jesus said in the Gospel of John that they will know you by your love. He also said that Whoever abides wise in me will bear fruit. She says, what is what's motivating our hearts and then how is that working in our life? How does that come out in what we do now? this it's not a promise that if you love God everything you have, everything going to be right from the door. It's not. It is promised, though, that you will have a hope and security that is much larger than what you can rest in in your own work, your own righteousness, and in your son. We rest in Jesus. We know that we will find hope in Him. That He will have the final say. Join me in worship, Father. We thank you for your words. We thank you that you have called us to love you with all of. So... as we gather together as a church that we gather in affection and love for you. As we gather in deep groups that are deep groups would help us to continue to grow in love with you. God, as we gather outside of this place that our conversations would help us to love you. God, I pray that you'd help us to take seriously our call to rest. God, I pray that as we go from this place we proclaim that Jesus through his death, burial, and resurrection has brought us to Help us to know that you are in control of what happens. And God, I pray that you would help us as we see the false teachers and false messages that are around us. That you would give us discernment, and you would help us to warn others so that we can honor you. We stand up for what is right. God, I, help you. I thank you that we can live with you. Thank